0: Hello from San Francisco and the National High School Journalism Convention. I'm Misty Roden from the Trojan Walls Yearbook staff at Trinity Valley School in Fort Worth, Texas. In this episode of the Yearbook Wise podcast, we are talking to Annie Gorenstein-Falkenberg, the advisor of the Priam Yearbook at Longmont High School in Colorado, about every advisor's favorite topic, grading and assessment. Okay, here's the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Yearbook Wise podcast. My name is Mike Simmons, and I advise the Tesserary Yearbook at Corning Painted Post High School in upstate New York. Today, we're recording at the National High School Journalism Convention in San Francisco. There's about 4,000 kids downstairs uh, advisors, newspapers, uh, staff, yearbooks, and all the rest. And um, I grabbed a, a good friend of mine, an advisor uh, in Colorado, to join us today, as you heard in the intro. Annie Gornstein falkenberg She advises the Prime book and is here to talk with us about assessment and grading. So welcome, Annie.
1: Well, Thank you so much for having me, Mike. I'm
0: glad to have you here. And um, I will tell you on full disclosure, assessment and grading is not something that I've knocked and mastered. I've been advising, I think, for 16 years, and it's something that I still struggle with. I struggle with um, authenticity in grading and assessment, and I really struggle with um, all of the different directions that I've got kids going in at once in a given week. Um, I think you know about my program, we've got about 48 kids on staff, 1,600-person school, but I was hoping you could share with the listeners a little bit about Longmont, um, and I'd even love to hear a little bit about how you got into your booking in the first place, um, and then we want to segue into kind of how your staff functions, and then we'll, we'll get to assessment, but how did you come to your booking in the first place?
1: So I this is my eighth year advising, and I started advising at Arvada West High School in Colorado, where I taught for the first seven years of my teaching career. And I was asked to do yearbook, and it was in that pivotal year. Sec, I was done with my second year of teaching, and we were looking at cuts in our district, and I knew it was a way to make myself valuable right. on our staff. And so I jumped at the chance to do yearbook and then very quickly I was introduced to some wonderful people and was put in a dorm room with Carrie Faust at yearbook camp that summer and I caught the bug quickly and have loved every minute of advising since. It's made me a better teacher and so I'm so grateful that My principal asked me to do this because it changed everything I do in my approach to all of my classes. It's been the biggest blessing I've had in my teaching career.
0: Tell me a little bit about Longmont and the community there and and your staff and and how you work during the school day and whatnot.
1: So... When I left Arvada West, I went home to Longmont okay. High School. Graduated from Longmont High. I, I was not a yearbook kid in high school. I was a yearbook kid in middle school, but okay. we ran a four-class block schedule, and you had your classes for one semester, so I could never fit yearbook in to my schedule in high school. Um, so when I came back to Longmont... I immediately was concerned about being able to recruit just because I remembered that as a student there. And when I showed up at Longmont High to teach there, they were happy that I was willing to take on yearbook, but it had gotten down to one kid wanting to be in the class and had been absorbed into student council. So I came in to a situation where we had 51 kids on student council who would also be making the yearbook is what they had decided. So I walked into a precarious situation because I was also eight months pregnant when I made that switch. And so the year started and I was out on maternity leave before we even could come up with a theme. So came back and kind of fought through that year one of just getting kids to care about a product that had really declined. Our book was wonderful when I was a student there and it had shrunken size, shrunk in the number of copies being sold, and it wasn't a journalistic production. And so coming in and looking at that, I knew that I wanted to make it str- a strong program again. And I also was lucky in that I had kids that were great kids in that student council group. So I just had to turn them into yearbookers. Sure, sure. And... I pushed the student council stuff into some smaller spaces and we probably neglected a lot of those duties in the two years that we did both at the same time. But at the end of my second year, at back at Longmont um, 41 kids signed up to take yearbook and that's my staff this year. And we are separate from student council. And so it, we went from one kid who wanted to take it three years ago to 41 this year, and so it's it's huge
0: growth. It's back, awesome. and it's
1: really nice to have it thriving again. And are you
0: still on block?
1: Yep, we are block, okay. but we do an alternating block, so okay. we have a 90 minute class two or three times a week, okay. which is that gift of time is really wonderful. Sure. Like having 90 minutes is huge. I, don't think I could ever go back to the schedule that I had before where we had 50 minutes. Most of the days
0: we've got 43.
1: Yeah. It's not, it's not a lot of time sometimes just getting InDesign to open can take 20 of those minutes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then do you have in your culture and with your staff at prime, do you have some weekly experiences after school that you see your kids?
1: So I see my, my editors for one work night a week consistently. My editors are always there. The team that is in build, especially if they're in their second week of their build week, we do a five-week rotation, chronological coverage, the plan, cover, two builds, and a proof. And so teams that are in their build and proof weeks, we tend to see some of those kids come in for work nights. But our work nights really turned into this opportunity for the editors to get a lot of their things done because then they could be on their feet and coaching, helping, encouraging the staff during class instead of kind of working in a bunker where the kids are like, well, the editors are over there doing their thing. The editors felt more organically a part of the staff when we moved a lot of their work into those after school hours. And that's a huge
0: tip right there. I mean, the number of times that probably you and I both have met with advisors or talks with staffs where it's an us and them on editors versus the rest of the staff and I've talked with staffs who have like the editor's room in the back of the lab yes. and that's poison to a staff because then it becomes Us and like, you can, yeah, you can, you may approach our room or this or that. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have that positive culture where your staff, we're sorry, where your editors take their time at the, the work nights so that they can better focus in the moment with the staff is absolutely phenomenal. That's great.
1: Yeah. And the other thing like just with that, that I think is so important is that if the staff can see the work the editors are doing, like and they know it's not just the editors nitpicking at the things the staff is doing, that really helps shift that culture too. So if my editors are working during class, they tend to move around the room and sit in different places to do their work, and so different kids see what they're up to. Right. So it's just a transparency thing that I think has really helped our culture. Right.
0: And so you and I were talking in, in lead up to, to recording this podcast that um, I don't think either of our staffs and our experiences as advisors are, are terribly different from having a lot of different moving pieces going in different directions at once. Um, it's kind of how your book is, is done by, in my experience, a lot of us. and it doesn't and that scales. If you have a very small staff or a very large staff, you rarely have even maybe two people doing the same thing in the same time span. Um, you were sharing that you've got a wide range of, uh, students on your staff of different academic abilities, even some students with special needs have been members of your staff before mine too, I believe. And um, we've talked to some advisors who share in that. So let's start unpacking how you keep track of it all and how you get to an authentic place. Um, you were sharing before of, of providing a lot of feedback to your students, uh, and we'll get there. But, um. I think there's a lot of advisors out there struggling with grading and putting something authentic in a grade book. Maybe their principals say um, you need to have you know 10 grades per marking period minimum or something like that. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got advisors who say, "Well, we finished the book, everything got here on time, so everybody gets an A," and it seems rather inauthentic. Um, so it's a it's a big question that we've kind of just set the stage for, but how how did you first let's start here how did you first get on to the process that you're using with your staff right now
1: so i think that i've changed my approach to grading almost every year that i've been an advisor not that i threw it all out the window but i tweaked some things and really tried to be reflective and okay this did not help us to our end goal Mm -hmm. and so i think that's kind of where I've started now in how I assess my students. Is I use a goal setting process with them that then leads to these are the things I'm going to look at to assess you on throughout the
0: year. Is that quarterly or weekly or like how? What what scale and scope is that goal setting process?
1: We we really love smart goals. So specific, measurable, and I can Google the right? Yeah, and is it timely, act- actionable. actionable um, are timely. Right. There's all these people listening yeah. to the podcast right now saying, <laughs> saying what that R is. Yeah, so, yeah. I love Twitter. it. anytime time that I have to say it, I have a hard time remembering sure. what smart stands for. But so when my students set those goals at the beginning of the year, we do it as editors, and they set specific goals in relation to often what we got on our critiques, okay. and then we have our staff set individual goals for what they want to accomplish as a part of the yearbook staff and we post those things i used to keep them separately and then i heard um rebecca chai from walnut talk about having the goals visible in the room and we always had our whole staff goals visible Mm -hmm. but never the individual ones and so that was something that i thought was that's such a smart idea because the accountability of having it on the wall so that's fantastic So we do goal setting and that's a lot of what I look at for my assessment with my students and I'm in a fortunate situation because I do not have my grade book monitored Mm -hmm. and I think that kind of, well it's not a bad thing, it is important to have students getting feedback in some way but my students feedback doesn't come from the grade book it comes from our process of creation okay. and that's what i've moved to in the last few years is how do we really um, make the make it more about the process that we're going through yes the end product is really important but the learning happens in the process and so how do we assess along the way so the product gets better right and also balancing that with if we're truly a student-run publication, but I'm assigning grades, you have to do it in a way that really doesn't upset that culture mm. where the kids feel like it's no longer in their control. But I've also never had my students grading one another.
0: Yeah, And there's gotta be a line there. Yeah.
1: yeah. So this year, I think I probably made the most jumps in what I'm doing. And it's that we, we've adopted this schedule that on Mondays, Mm -hmm. the editorial board, which is seven members of my staff, we have a Monday meeting.
0: In class or after school? At lunch.
1: So when they agree to be my editor, they agree to give me their Monday lunches. And that works nicely in our school. We could really do it any day of the week, but we'd hit NHS or whatever else happens at lunchtime. And we eat together and we have a standing agenda. And we talk about what's new. And some of it is just, like, the social, mm-hmm. like, let's update each other on our lives. And then we jump into what's new in the yearbook, stuff that we're doing, what's new with members of our staff. Are there any red flags that we need to know about? And it could be anything from, like, so-and-so has been out sick mm-hmm. for a while, and so we need to give some support there. Um, or that, I think no one went and took pictures of x event like what are we going to do so that monday meeting allows the kids to hash out what's going on away from the rest of the staff and also they set the plan for the week as far as what's going to happen on the days that we have class so my editors determine if we need a mini lesson on something if we're not doing a certain thing to reach one of our goals that needs to be refreshed. So it's very student driven the way class runs all week. And then we bookend it with, I call it the Friday show. And sometimes it's a really big production and other times it's very quick, but it's the opportunity to show your in-process work and get On the spot feedback, not just from the editors, not from me, but from the entire staff.
0: So let me stop you there for, because I feel like I might have a naive question. Um, On block, you don't see them every Friday. Right. Right. So So sometimes
1: the show might happen on a Thursday.
0: Okay, cool.
1: But it's kind of, it ends our week.
0: Right. So Taco Tuesday can also be on Friday. Yes. I got you. Um, (laughs) A Friday show, it it paints a picture in my head. Um, Do you have, and sorry, how many on the staff? 41 all at the same time
1: all at the same time so
0: how do you manage 41 well it's in 90 minutes right right um right at the bell you just dive in and start and it's about two minutes per person or how to talk to me about that? so
1: what we do we'll present in teams because we do function in teams and so when we depending on where you are some presentations are really quick if you're in a plan week you're getting up and you're saying these are the things we're looking to cover next week does anyone else have any ideas would
0: that be three or four kids in front of the room yep okay
1: and it'll be our teams range from five to eight people depending on you know we have some that are bigger because they have lots of kids with after school commitments or whatever Mm -hmm. it might be we the teams are not equally equal in numbers but that's worked well for us to not have it be that way um, so anywhere from four to eight kids up in front of the room, explaining their plan. And then they get immediate feedback from other people on staff. Like, Hey, actually we covered sure. marching band last right. week. Let's not do another marching band mod. Right. Cause there's already eight of them in the book. So, um, they get some feedback from one another and can make adjustments. Mm-hmm. If you're in your coverage week, sometimes it's, we really need help getting sure. X. And those are really quick. It's when we get to the people that are in build weeks and proof weeks that it takes a little bit more time. Okay. And so if you're in that, you're projecting whatever you're creating and getting feedback.
0: And it strikes me right there, if you get called on by the math teacher to answer question number four from your homework and you don't have it prepared, there is, I would call it a social control, but just mm-hmm. that anxiety of I'm not ready. I've got to imagine that that would happen with your staff. It does. you, you got to be ready to go.
1: Yep and the kids don't always... sometimes we don't always know when we're going to be able to get a show in like okay. it there there have been weeks where it doesn't happen and it does and, take time and, and this is intentional yeah you're you're having to carve out a good chunk of your work time okay. and in the effort to keep kids from having to come in after from not having to come in after school we really try to protect work time in class okay. and so this was a change in like stopping and doing this but we We kind of got to the point where we had like celebratory shows where it was a bunch of pages and people like those ones took a little longer when we were close to a deadline or just finished a deadline before we had proofed those pages and gotten them back to the plant. But other times we do the show in like a whip around fashion where I'll stop class when we're in the lab because we run out of two rooms. We have my classroom attached to the lab. And so... When we're in the lab, we'll stop everything. Everyone backs away from their computers and we like gallery walk the room and give written feedback to one another. Okay. And that one we can get done in like 12 minutes. Okay. And you, I say visit four, visit four other groups or visit two other groups, whatever we, I think we have time for.
0: And the written feedback out of there, is there a pile of sticky notes in front yep. of each computer?
1: Yeah. Right. So we just pick up, pick up sticky notes and move around the room with them. And I, those ones I do kind of craft a little bit of there's they have to write a compliment sandwich mm-hmm. so they something great that they see something they think they should think about in their revision process and then just a nice like parting word people might know them. that
0: as the oreo cookie method yes right? the good stuff is in the middle but it's actually this stuff that you need to work on yeah so okay. i like that
1: and so that's just quick and then the teams come back together and they sort out their feedback really quickly and they make decisions like yes we need to address this like I'm not really sure what this meant. And then they could follow up with the person and the editors move around too and check in like, Hey, what are you doing with your feedback? And so that's, that's been really great because I think the biggest cultural problem that I've ever had on a staff was I had a year where kids would work hard on their spread. It would go to be time for deadline. My editor would sit down with it. And this was when I was first year advisor and she would change so much of their work that it made, and staff sometimes wouldn't know how much had been changed until the book came out. And wow, was it a toxic feeling. Mm -hmm. And so this has prevented that from happening because there's so much feedback along the way that when we're looking at a piece of copy, We're changing a sentence that was editorialized that was like a borderline editorialized statement instead of like, there's no angle. We are rewriting this entire piece of copy.
0: But also, as you're close to deadline, if uh, an editor sat down in front of the spread and there was a big blue rectangle across it and they said, where did this blue rectangle come from? Delete, you know, six weeks into the process. It sounds like in your process, they would have known maybe from week one. That this you know this blue rectangle, or that this coverage package was there, and they've had yeah. some time to live with it and have an awareness of it, right? Yeah, and there's they, no surprises. They're
1: very up on what every exactly kid is up to in the room, right. and that's also made it so I'm very up to up on what everyone is in what is doing in the room because after we do a show, we do a reflection exit ticket, and that's okay. the majority of my grades in my grade book. So it's just. Basically, it's like a touch point. Like, how are you doing? What are you up to? What's going well? What's not going well? And what are your goals for next week?
0: And what is the medium for that? I use Google surveys a lot for feedback. Are you doing a written piece? Yep.
1: Okay. Handwritten, half piece of paper, sticky note. So I've I've had times where I've let them text me their exit okay. ticket. Okay. Like if we really reinsured, I'm like, you get it to me however you want. You can email me, text me, leave it on a sticky note write it on the whiteboard and take a picture of it and send it to me, whatever you want to do just to get it. And then I share some of it, not always all of it with editors. And we'll go over some things in the Monday meeting to decide for the next. And
0: do the kids give themselves a numeric grade on that?
1: I don't ask them to give me a grade. And I, you know, I, they're 10 point assignments and on the reflective things, it's always the 10 out of 10 if they did it. And they've reflected in some way and showed some thoughtfulness it's a 10 out of 10. if they give me something that i feel like is not thoughtful i follow up with a kid and say hey we're going to have a conversation for you to get your grade okay and that's really rare that i ever have to have a conversation with a kid because they they take it fairly seriously on my staff
0: and not to oversimplify or to focus too much on the numerics of it but it sounds like you're saying you essentially get a 10 point grade per week Mm -hmm um, that then can track down to a quarterly grade or semester grade? Yeah. So we,
1: um, we post weekly for eligibility and then we have semester grades at my school. Okay. So parents see grades pretty much weekly with the eligibility posting and then the semester grade. So we have those kind of as daily and then we have deadline grades. Right.
0: Um, And do those deadline grades look different than this feedback process that you're talking about? So
1: the deadline grade is still something that, you know, I am shaking out how I like to do it and really have just developed something recently that I think will replace my deadline grades next year. And because really for a long time, I just felt like if you met the deadline, if your page made it, then you're good. Like you've earned the points, but but there's no quality check there right. and there's no, what did you really contribute? Because Sam on the green team hasn't done anything in three weeks and has been shopping for her prom dress for, you know, since October. I'm
0: glad to know that happens in your lab too.
1: Oh, anywhere there's a computer and prom is possible. There's prom dress shopping. Yes. So like, if it, how does that equal the team lead who had to do every, and maybe ended up having to do everyone else's work And so what I've moved to and had my students do kind of as a reflective activity after we had finished our bound book this year and what I want to do with every deadline next year is what I called a proof portfolio. And it was screenshots and reflective statements about quality of work, what they had contributed, not just to their team, but to the entire staff Mm -hmm. and the production and also reflecting on, well, what did you do that didn't make it? Because I'm sure that your staff is similar in that I I would bet we've, I would bet that we have left well over a million photos on the drive that will never see the light of day. Right. And there's some really amazing images and that kind of thing in there that we're not using in our book. And so it gives the kids opportunity to have that effort recognized as well.
0: Do you also have a piece that would allow a student to stake their claim to, um, things that weren't tangible that they contributed to staff um either you know, their their leadership abilities or or being there for somebody or staying after and helping tidy up the lab i'm not saying that that's important as, as important as finishing a spread but is there yeah. a way to account for those things too i
1: do have a section in there that is what else have you contributed to the staff as and a whole. And then, you know, in this first round of it, I didn't think of examples, really. I just left it open. And kids did share some of those kinds of things. Like, you know, I sorted photos for the pink team when they were really overwhelmed or whatever it right. might have been. And there were, there were some kids that I think maybe a few of my editors had thought weren't doing that much, that were doing a lot of little things that maybe, you know, they weren't getting out to get, The dominant photo under the radar. Yeah, and that helped me to be more mindful about recognizing those students, and also for my editors to really like appreciate more of their staff.
0: So one thing I wanted to ask you about a a minute ago, though, too, was if you have a team member who's not carrying their weight, uh, perhaps they're not performing real well at your Friday review. um, But is there also a way for a fellow team member to flag that student to you? Or do you have a different way of approaching that?
1: So I do, well, we have our seven editorial board members that we always meet on Mondays. We invite team leads in. And if you're, we'll have a conversation with team leads. Sometimes we just ask that they get there 10 minutes before class starts. So cut your lunch a little bit short because we have class right after lunch. And then we talk just with team leads and get some of the same information. And that's where I get a lot of the, this person has not been doing what is being asked of them. And then I ask them how they want to handle it. Mm -hmm. Like, are you going to have a conversation with that person? Have you tried and it's been unsuccessful and now it's time for an EIC to have that conversation with that person or are we to the point where I'm having a conversation with that person like where are we in this process and so like trying to intervene early is really important to getting a kid back on track but I've had kids who realize somewhere along the way that yearbook was not anything they thought it was going to be and that they are almost even bitter about being in the class and over the years, I've come up with tasks that are important to our function as a staff, but they don't affect the content in the book the way other things would that I then start to assign to that student so right. they can be a part and still be helpful, but they're not being, they're not preventing work from being done and they're not becoming a cancer on their team. Got it. And we so, call that Team G.
0: <laughs> we, um, As part of the podcast, I'm going to have uh, an opportunity for advisors to submit questions. You can um, record them and submit them at book at gmail.com. But downstairs earlier today, um, I met Jesse, an advisor in El Paso. Um, and I'd like you to listen to this question. I want to unpack this a little bit. She was talking about um, kind of the multitude of ability levels and different roles that her staff has and how to um, authentically assess. Let's take a listen.
1: My name is Jesse Almanzad from Austin High School in El Paso,
0: Texas. We do the Roundup Yearbook. My question is, how do you grade students or staff members when there's so many different roles, responsibilities, abilities, and contributions? How do you grade them all fairly? So I think we approached some of this already when you were talking about those Friday um, shareouts. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you call it again? I'm sorry. The Friday show. Friday show, of course. Um, when I was speaking a, a little bit longer with Jesse, she was speaking to the fact that she's she does have students with special needs. She has students who are English language learners um, being uh, uh, down at El Paso. Um, when we were getting ready for the podcast, you we were talking about um, fair and equal. And I was wondering if you could unpack that a little bit in response to Jesse and and two, we have a, a rather wise friend, Erin um, Harris, you were talking about before um, you, you quoted her saying that she had expressed to you in a session that she never had a problem that grading could solve. Um, and I think that there's some advice in there for for Jesse. I know when I was floating this topic on Facebook, a bunch of advisors chimed in and were like, I need, you know, we, we do 100 points a week and we do this and we do that. And it felt at times like death by a 1,000 points for an advisor. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like you've struck this, uh, balance between authentic buy-in and feedback, and show us what you've done with some numbers on the back end because we're public school teachers or school teachers, and we need that. But that your model might work really well for Jesse. So can we can we talk about that a little bit about the uh, the wide range of kids?
1: So I think you know I've had lots and lots of different types of students in my class, and I think the biggest focus is growth and i had a i had a student this year or at the beginning of the year who like hadn't ever talked to anyone at school and hadn't really talked to any of us on yearbook staff and then mom came to parent teacher conferences and i got to hear about how yearbook was that student's favorite class because Mm -hmm. they were finally getting to know people at school and that was a kid who at that point hadn't contributed much to our staff and i realized okay this class might not be about him really like having a photo in the book or writing much for the book, but it's about a a level of personal growth for him. And and he's opened up about some of that in his reflections. And so he's, he's earning an a in my class. He's not doing the work that my editor in chief is doing, but he's earning an a in my class because he's showing this great amount of personal growth. And And
0: arguably doing his best work.
1: Yes. And I I would say his work is just, it keeps getting better and better. And he's a young kid who has some physical challenges and and different things that he deals with. And, you know, he has opened up and just like blossomed in our class, which is maybe more exciting than a lot of the things that my editor-in-chief, who is, you know, top of her class great at everything she is is amazing and but his growth is just as if not more exciting than her growth in a lot of ways so this idea of trying to grade kids fairly and I think that this is why I went to reflective grades and really having kids process and prove the things that they're doing and contributing is because you could meet the deadline and get your points and everybody has kind of the same grade on your team or you could prove through the process that you're learning something and that's where you get your grade and I'm pretty transparent with my kids that that's what I'm looking for is are you getting better are you contributing to us getting better and if you are then you'll be very successful in my class and so No, none of my editors are upset with this student who's not doing nearly the work anyone else is doing, really, in volume. They're never upset that he has the same grade as them, because they understand that we're in a process and everyone has their different things, they contribute to it. I think that takes away some of the need to be equal in the way that we grade, because it's fair on a case-by-case basis. There there are students in my class who don't have A's and it's we've gotten to that place where they're not contributing to a point where it's detrimental to their team and so they haven't earned and they're pretty honest kids are kids are so honest when you ask them to assess themselves sometimes they're too brutal to the in their reflection and but they're not asking me why their grade's not an A because they know why their grade's not right. an A. They wrote it down on paper and explained to me exactly why they haven't earned it. And so I think that has balanced out this idea of fairness and, and that sort of thing. And also when you look at standards-based grading, I think a lot of that too, if you look at yearbook has these certain standards that we must meet in order to be successful and you're looking at the spectrum of the standards, that kind of takes away some of the point mongering mm-hmm. that that is done in some classes or the box checking yeah box right. checking because yeah. there is a level of quality there mm-hmm. that's different than other classes because we're publishing our homework
0: so I've just got one last question for you and it goes back to your reflection pieces coming in over text and post-it notes and things like that have you ever thought about or would there be a next evolution for the prime staff of of maybe having something that was more um long-lived on the reflections, either, you know, a composition notebook or something like that, that that stays with them and they're writing in the same notebook all year long. Is that a a goal of yours or is there a reason that you're not taking it that way?
1: You know, I think I love the quick nature of the, like, rip it out and give it to me, which is great, but... Um, When we did this proof portfolio that was this one-time reflective thing, it made me realize, like, why weren't we doing this all year? And so I think some of it is going to morph into that proof portfolio assignment. And with our five-week rotation, they would do it in the proof week. We, We do a plan week, cover two builds and a proof. And if they did their reflective pieces for that deadline in their proof portfolio, and then that would be a living document. That's and Google Docs makes that so incredibly easy. You just true. hit the print screen button and paste it in there, and, and they have their visual representation and then the reflection to go with it.
0: I think that one of the best pieces of advice that you've offered today, too, to listeners is that um, idea that it doesn't need to be the same every year. It's obvious in, in hearing you explain this that there's been an evolution and that year on year, you yourself are reflective, saying... This, this really seemed to work for me last year, but now we're going to try this and now I'll evolve it into this. At least that, that's what I'm taking away in this. And not that it has to be the same year to year to year. I wonder, do you um, evolve your leadership team a little bit year to year? You look at the people that you've got yes. and then figure out the jobs?
1: Yeah. And, you know, this year we broke it down into specific, like everyone had jobs, whereas it before it's been everybody does everything. Okay. But this year it was your writing, your design, and, and your photography. And we'd never really we'd have been a while since we'd had those roles and we needed it because of the people we had this year. But next year we won't have as many roles with what we're looking at doing next year. And I think, I think that's also so important in yearbook because we want to keep our kids for multiple years. Like the real goal is to have a whole bunch of four year staffers. Like that's kind of the dream. And, And yes, you pick up great kids along the way or they come in there just for their senior year. But if we can like, It's okay if the experience is different every year. Yes, the theme is going to be different and the coverage plan is different, but some of the like navigating the grading experience being different, the just kind of what you're up to in the day-to-day, I think with that being different, and yearbook's never a class that's going to be stagnant, but it makes it feel like they're having an exciting experience that's worth doing more than once. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Well, I think that's as good a place as any to leave in. Annie, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you for patient. having me. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. Uh, friends, you can be in touch uh, with me and in the podcast uh, via email at iteachyearbook at gmail.com. Uh, the podcast is on Twitter at at And Wise. And uh, if you're sharing with yearbook reps or other advisor friends, it is uh, available anywhere you get your podcast and Apple iTunes, uh, Google Play, and uh, most of the podcast apps as well. Uh, Again, we're uh, live-ish up in the hotel at the National High School Journalism Convention in San Francisco. And uh, for now, we'll leave it there. Uh, Good luck. Be well. We'll talk soon.